And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Well, hi, and thanks for joining me for this episode of Understanding Business. This is utlradio.com, your business success and legal information station, and I'm your host, Peter Lamont. Today, episode 194, we're going to be speaking with John Kershaw, the creator of the Bristler app. And this thing is amazing. This story is amazing. It's the epitome, almost, of an overnight success, and we're going to be talking to John about how he managed to go from, you know, punching the time clock, working a job, to being a full-fledged, successful entrepreneur in roughly a year. And for those of you who don't know about the Bristler app, now this thing started off as a joke back in 2014, and he has now grown it to a full-fledged, full-feature-rich dating service that's being used in more than 100 cities around the world and has created more than a quarter of a million connections between people with beards and those of you who like to stroke them. John, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being on today. Hi, more than happy to. Lovely to be here. So this thing is amazing. It starts off as a joke in October of 2014, and it has become a really popular, successful brand and app. So when you started this off, right, you were working a full-time job. Yeah, so so I was a freelance software developer um, working full-time for a bunch of clients. And one day, what, you're sitting around and you're just thinking, because you have a beard, and you're thinking, hey, wouldn't this be fun? Uh, almost exactly. So <laughs> I was sat there, like, procrastinating in work, because as a freelancer, you end up working for people that you you wish you weren't doing the work. So, like, one afternoon, I'm sat there trudging through stroking my beard, and I'd just been listening to some business podcast that was talking about this whole new connection economy, in air quotes, uh, that's like springing up where you've got like Airbnb and Uber and these things that connect person with X to person who wants X. And I was sort of sat there wondering to myself, like, if I could come up with one of these ideas, just like pull it out of the air, and I ended up just like, ah, beard stroking. It's an obvious <laughs> satirical choice. Uh, so I, I create the, the tagline, connecting those with beards with those who want to stroke them. Um, and I sort of post that to Facebook. Um, and, you know, I'm quite pleased with myself. I think I'm, 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 I think I'm hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so then on the train home, I'm sort of brainstorming with a bunch of friends for a name, come up with the idea of Bristler, and being the kind of nerdy guy that I am, that night, I, I bought some $1 stock photography, made a sign-up page, and Bristler was born. Wow. Now, this, this thing is grown so quickly, and it's really, like I said at the intro, kind of an overnight success. And this is not typical of most startup businesses, whether they're tech, 
or brick and mortar. This is this is sort of unique. Are you surprised by the speed at which this has grown? Yeah. Um it's an interesting question because I think I always look at my numbers and I'm always disappointed. I'm like, well, why didn't I double last month? Like, why is it only growing at like single digit percentages? Um, so I'm always sort of pushing a lot harder. So yeah, it's, it's hard to sort of get the perspective on how big this thing is until I compare it with other sort of similar apps. So Bristler now has about, 110,000 accounts um, wow. in essentially like every continent except Antarctica or the Arctic. I can never remember which one's a continent. I'm so sorry for people who live there. Um, yeah, I just lose complete perspective on it. But it, it has grown. I mean, it was it was growing ludicrously fast in the first like three or four months, and then it sort of calmed down after that initial PR push sort of right. that tide sort of receded and has sort of left a stable business behind. All right. Now, a lot of people who are entrepreneurs, they'll, especially the ones that are not doing so well, they like to look at people <laughs> who have some tech knowledge because having mm. tech ability is really critical in, in today's internet marketplace. And they're going to look at you and they're going to say, all right, of course, John was able to do this. He had a tech background. He was a software designer, developer. So I assume you did create the app yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's all my work. Okay, so uh, for those people out there that are saying, oh, this is easy, of course he's been successful because it's what he does. And, you know, I'm out here trying to create a product and it's not working so well. But let's talk for a little bit about what happens after you create the app because maybe for you, the app was something that you knew how to do, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to get tons of people in. You had to do a lot of marketing PR. So let's talk about that for a second. So for those, those, those people out there that want to criticize because, oh, you know, you knew how to do it, understand that that's a small component of what you've done to build this business, right? Yeah, and I think that approach is also wrong. <laughs> To be like just be blunt. So mm -hmm. Bristler, the first success Bristler had was when I successfully proved that there was viability there, and that required me to own a domain name Bristler.com, um, set up a Mailchimp mailing list, and put the mailing list on the domain, and then post about it on social media. That didn't require anything. So there was a sign-up page before there was a product. And I think that's where a lot of people fail um, yep. early on in, in building tech businesses because they're like, okay, I'll build the product and then people will turn up. And it's sort of like, no, there's no point building the product until people are asking for the product. Um, like I've, I've consulted with people who've spent quarter of a million pounds on building this tech platform. And I just straight up, ask the guy like, okay, so you're launching in a month. How many people beside you have seen this? And he just sort of looked at me and was like, well, no one, it's not launched yet. And that to me is, is just ludicrous. Like yep. everyone knows 10 people. So like, well, you can, you kind of have to trick them into, into 
uh, do it, like giving you the information that you want. Because if you said, if I said to 10 people, hey, I'm making this dating app for people who have beards, do you like it? 10 people would all turn around and go, that's hilarious, definitely yes. But you have no idea whether they actually would or not. So put a little bit of friction in there. So Bristler had the sign-up page. You have to actually sign up to a MailChimp thing to show your interest. And we had like 70 people signed up in a week. And it's like, okay, cool. There is some viability here. I think that first step is the most important one. Because if no one signed up, I would, have, I would never have needed to have a technical background. I think yes. that's, that's probably where a lot of people trying to build tech kind of go wrong, I think. I think you're completely correct because I see this all the time where exactly like you said, nobody's seen it before it's not launched and they're creating the product. And then when it does launch and it doesn't succeed, then you're Mm. left holding this, you know, expensive investment of time and money and nobody wants the product. So the way that you, you set it up by proving the viability of the concept, that's really the first step that entrepreneurs have to understand before they go out and spend time and money on something. Yeah, it's the, the idea of testing first. It's actually, it's how I develop software as well. You write a test that says the software does X, the test fails, and so you then change the software so the software does X, the test passes. So you always test first because testing something is way easier and cheaper and faster than building something. Um, Absolutely. And you learn everything you need to learn by making the test because the test describes the thing. Um, so yeah, I think, I think testing first is, that's the skill that I'm lucky enough to sort of have been trained to have rather than the technical stuff. Because the technical stuff, you can, there's always ways around it. Um, like you can always just build a spreadsheet that does your business calculations and try and sell that to someone. Or you can pay $100 on one of those rubbish freelancer coding sites and have someone mock something up that looks right. halfway decent um, and start getting that feedback. Like get someone to buy your product if you're selling something. Absolutely. You don't actually need the product. It's a, it's a, it's a strange world. Well, that's what a lot of, a lot of the, the Kickstarter campaigns a few years ago mm. focused on, especially with the watches like the Pebble watch. Mm. They didn't mm. have the product. They launched the campaign to see about viability and interest. And then they build the product. So it was almost, you know, you're on a wait list until they build the product. Exactly. So once you, you tested the, the waters and you realize, I mean, it's like your beta test. And you know now that, mm. okay, people are interested in this product. Now you've got to go to that next step where you're actually creating the app. And that's probably conceptually the easiest part. Because like you said, you can do it yourself or you can outsource it to someone. Mm-hmm. Once you have the app made, now I think this is one of the hardest parts of the business. How do you get people interested in actually downloading this app? So what did you do next? So after two weeks of evenings of building the prototype, that launches, I fix all the bugs. I start to get like a few, like I have enough friends that I could get 10 people to sign up. I have this email list of like 70 people and like maybe like a third of them sign up. I'm on some online communities, so there's like Reddit, and I happen to know that Reddit has a subreddit called Beards. And so you just kind of post politely. You're not spamming anyone. You're just like, hey, I made this thing. Is anyone interested? Um, 
And that's how you can get your first, like, 10, 15 people in the door. To go beyond that, and I guess this is the quote-unquote, like, secret trick that, that Frisler did, even though I, I don't regard it as a trick, I think it's just common sense, is I found trend-setting websites and blogs that are really, really good at gaming Facebook for, like, clicks and, and what have you. Um, but sites where they're the authors, the bloggers, are fairly new to the world of blogging. So it could be, the equivalent would be like going on BuzzFeed and finding someone who's written about beards but has only written like four or five articles for BuzzFeed. Right. Um, we then found, well, I then just found a couple of people on Twitter who'd written about beards for um, places like EliteDaily.com, which are like, you know, millennial trendsettery blogs. And I just tweet at them going, hey, you wrote this cool article about beards. Awesome. Have you seen this app? And the app was geared and still remains to be geared at this point so that when you first land on it, it's less designed to get you to sign up and is more designed to catch journalists' attention. Um, so the media kit, for example, is right there. And the Bristol media kit is something that I spent days like tweaking and balancing so that you have 100% of everything you need to write an article about Bristler. You've got the narrative, you've got more information, you've got my contact details, free to use imagery, statistics, all that kind of stuff. Um, so the site was sort of built to be this ready-made funny story. And at the time, there was like late last year, there were lots of news articles about beards because they, they sort of came into fashion. And so mm -hmm. briefly, this kind of rode that wave of, of sort of novelty, as it were, which sort of got us um, on these like little trend-setting blogs. And then a month later, we started to get picked up by some of the UK larger media, like the Daily Mail and the Metro. And then after that, there's like a sort of avalanche of, of people writing this story because it's a pre-made story. Like, how ludicrous is this? A dating site for people who like beards. Hilarious. Right, right. Now, look, what you just said is something that I think very few people, very few entrepreneurs understand. Um, you know, I think that there are a handful of people that get this idea about connecting with bloggers. And, you know, I know you, mm. let's put secret trick in air quotes, but I think that it really is something that people just don't understand. You know, I think that a lot of times people overlook blogging. Now, you ended up getting Bristler on some big name media shows, CNBC, and a lot of, of, of really high profile media outlets. Did you target them or was it directly from the buzz generated by the bloggers? That was all uh, buzz. And as soon as you're in one sort of major news outlet, all the others kind of pick up on it. Um, so, yeah, that, that was all sort of inbound organic press. But I think where Bristler is different to most businesses is that we're not like a B2B spreadsheet selling company. We, it, it's designed, it's sort of in its DNA to have this kind of PR ease of PR. Um, so like it's got that story to tell. Right. Um, which right. has its pros and cons, but like it's definitely helped us. And and when you are um, 
creating something like your media kit because your media kit is very comprehensive and and that's something that if you look at a lot of startups there is no media kit they don't even understand mm-hmm. the concept of well, why do I need a media kit and you know a, a lot of people that I've spoken to their initial thought their you know I, I think it stems from the fear of 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 the uncertainty of your startup they think to themselves mm-hmm. well nobody knows me nobody's going to want to write about me why do I need a media kit and what would you say to people that say that to you? Well, I mean, it, it takes you about an hour to get a really basic media kit up. So try it. Like, what's the, there's, there's various types of quotes which say that, like, success is the combination of, like, perseverance and luck. And it's sort of, it's, it's lightning will strike. You have no idea when, but you just have to act fast or have the ground ready Um for like when a random journalist sees a random tweet about your product because they know someone who's friends with someone who's someone's uncle and they arrive at your website, if you load your website up and it's like, I have never seen this and I have a deadline by three o'clock, I have to write an interesting news article. Is this immediately something I can just pick up and go with? Um, right. And it's, it's, Viewing it from that perspective, I think, is is really helpful. And it may never happen, or it may happen once, and that might be enough. Now, what do you ultimately attribute the success of Bristler within a year period to? I mean, is it a combination of timing, the fact that beards are are you know now being brought back into uh, everyday life, or is it something that you did? What do you attribute it to? So Bristler's successful for because we're sort of at the, the cropping point of a number of different trends. There's obviously the beards are fashionable, which gets you a ton of free PR. And if you, like everyone listening here, there's a fun test you can do, which is next time you're in a crowd, mention what Bristler is. And I guarantee you one person will either say, wow, that's amazing, I'm signing up immediately, or they will know someone who they think this will be perfect for. So it has, it has that kind of PR built in, and Beards are very, you know, like very in, and so it has that. It fits the simplification of online dating. So you sign up to Bristler, you just log in with Facebook, and we build your account for you. And we might ask you, like, when's your birthday, or where are you? if it's not in your Facebook profile. But for the most part, it's like click, click, and then here's everyone nearby. Um, oh, but we do ask you if you have a beard or not. Um, so, yeah, so you've got the simplification of online dating happening where people are moving away from, like, Match.com and these big complicated, like, fill in this big profile and answer right. 9,000 questions. And they're switching over to, like, Tinder, where it's sort of like, don't care who they are. Are they nearby? Swipe, swipe, swipe. Um, and so you're, you're seeing that trend towards simplification, which Bristler jumps on board with, like, completely. And then you have the trend towards these niche dating sites because Tinder's great for finding you someone nearby, but what if you want someone nearby who you actually share things in common with? And that's where you're, you get, um, is it J-Swipe, which is like the Jewish niche version mm-hmm. of Tinder. And that's fantastic because if you want to meet someone who's Jewish and you want to use a service like Tinder, this niche offering is suddenly perfect for you. And I think what 
you'll see over time is people moving away from Tinder and just moving towards these kinds of niche offerings. And you put all of that together and that's sort of, those are all the forces that make Bristler successful. Like I don't think Bristler would have worked had it launched two years earlier. Right. Now, you know, what's interesting is this idea of, of the niche startup, the niche marketing mm. platform, because I think that's often overlooked. I think that, you know, if you have a particular skill set, if you are marketing a service or a product that can differentiate itself, being that it's niche related, because there are thousands of dating apps, thousands mm. of dating websites. And you have surpassed the vast majority of them with the popularity of the app. And I mm -hmm. think, too, it, it is niche-related. Now, I'm sure at some point during the development of the app, you had people, maybe people that didn't like beards or have beards, say <laughs> to you, well, I don't understand how you're going to make money because there's not enough people who would be interested in that. Did you experience mm -hmm. that? Oh, absolutely. Um like, yeah, I'm trying to work out how to, like, the best way to answer this. But, like, it's it's feedback that I get a lot. Um, it's feedback that I think is correct. Um, and it's feedback that has driven the direction of, like, Bristler's future sort of endeavors in that we will be moving into multiple niches. And our software platform has been designed from the ground up so that it's not just about bid so that we will we could launch one for people who love talking about the law and we could we could spin one of those up within 24 48 hours um and I, so on the one hand like the niche gets you in and going niche is a really really good idea i think going into multiple niches is a better idea i think going broad is a terrible idea because as you say if you go broad you're competing with a thousand new rubbish dating apps every single day. Whereas in right. your niche, like you find me my competitors in the beard based dating arena and I will show you some unsuccessful companies. Um, it, you kind of eliminate your competition in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is something that, you know, um, a lot of internet based marketers and entrepreneurs, I don't know if you follow someone like Pat Flynn, um, are you familiar with him? Uh, I recognize the name, but I, I, yeah, so I was gonna say no. <laughs> he's he's a big niche marketer, creating niche websites where it'll be a product sold for that particular industry. He has one for food trucks, and these are things mm. that you know completely out of the ordinary, right? You would think to yourself, how many people are interested in a food truck? Yet he seems to be doing well with that niche market. So the niche idea is great. Now, what do you do when um, you have, for example, let's stick with the topic of beards for a second. You have a lot of these niche websites for uh, people that wear beards and they're selling beard oil and beard grooming products. But all of a sudden you start to see five, six, seven, ten of them pop up. And now mm -hmm. your niche is, is becoming a little crowded. How do you deal with that? So I think beard oil is an interesting one because, in my opinion, one can never have enough beard oil. I, my <laughs> shelf is, like, stacked with the stuff. Um, so, I mean, to me, I, I'm all for that. I think when 
it depends what your business is. So if you're in the beard oil, like selling, then the thing that differentiates your beard oil from someone else's beard oil is almost nothing. There's no difference from the outside until you get the product in your hand. But then you buy a bottle of beard oil and it'll last you a year. So there's not a huge sort of, that's a really tricky one. And I think there you'll find that the market does sort of dilute and dilute and just get fuller and fuller and fuller until, yeah, it sort of drives people out. With somewhere like Bristler, um, if a competitor comes along, they would need to have significant capital behind them in order to get as many users as we've got. And if you have the choice between joining Bristler or joining the world's second favorite beard-based dating <laughs> website, which has... So to, to give the example, there is actually a world's second favorite. Um, they launched a couple of weeks after Bristler um, on like fairly old-school technology. Um, they have about 5,000 users, and we have 110,000 users. And so we have that first-mover advantage, um, which works. Um, so I think there, the, the, there, it depends on what your product is as to how that's going to impact you. Now, you know, you, you talked a bit about the idea of Bristler being more simple than some of mm. these dating sites that want you to fill out your entire life story. Do you think that we as a, a society of consumers and tech users, do you think we're moving towards this instant gratification? We want things quicker and easier. We don't want all of the, the you know, applications and things. And do you think that that has helped Bristler? Yes, is <laughs> the short answer. Like, if you can get out the way of people who want a thing, right. then you've got a business. It's why Amazon have those now one-click buttons. It's like, I've run out of whatever brand this is, click, and then it turns up. Um, right. It's getting out the way of people. Or, like, if you take Uber, um, I love Uber because instead of having to, like, phone around five different, like, taxi officers and find one that's got somewhere near, I just click a button, and then a taxi turns up and I don't have to pay with cash or anything. It simplifies the process in the same way that Bristler, I saw a tweet yesterday from someone who reactivated their account. They'd forgotten they'd signed up to Bristler. They turned their account on again after like six months and they had a date within 15 minutes. Like wow. that's, that's fantastic. Like that's, yeah. that's what the platform is, is built for. And like we can't guarantee it's going to be a good date, but then no one could do that Anyway, we're just kind of getting out of the way and letting people just do with their lives what they're wanting to do. Now, why did you go app only versus app and website? So interestingly, we actually do have a website. Um, if you go to bristler.com, right. you can actually log in, and it is literally identical to the app because and I mean, I probably shouldn't, shouldn't say this very sneaky trick that I do. If you load up the Bristler app, it's actually secretly loading up a web browser and just pointing you at the website. Um, gotcha. You just can't tell because the website looks like an app. Um, it's a, it's, the reason I did that is because I'm used to building websites. I can make a website look good on, on a mobile phone. Uh, most websites do now. And if you use this approach with an app, I released the Android app after about two hours of work. Um, whereas if I were to build a native app, it would take maybe two weeks or two months. Right. Um, 
So that's that's essentially kind of a shortcut that I did. Um, and almost immediately, like something ludicrous, like 90% of all of our traffic to Bristler is done via mobiles. Um, and another like 5% is tablets and the rest is on the web. And mostly that's me, I think. <laughs> so And so people are definitely sorry. moving towards mobile, right? I mean, there's, there's no doubt that mobile is the way to go, but your mobile and your website, they're essentially the same thing as opposed to those products where you've got a different looking app versus the website interface. Yeah, exactly. And that, I mean, this is this is just coming back to my design knowledge. Uh, if you do it that way, um, it means that like I can update the website instantly, and so everyone's apps are updated instantly. So I don't need to worry about deploying a new version to fix a bug, or or say I want to change the way the menu looks, or add an entirely new feature. I don't have to update the app. We only update the apps when we change the physical hardware requirements. So where we issued an update last week on Android and it'll come out on um, Apple's devices, uh, I think next week, that enables push notifications because you didn't have them and you need to do stuff on the phone that does that. But all the stuff in app, so like if, if we change the way daily matches are shown to you or we want to change a certain way a button looks, we can do that instantly. Wow. Now that's that's actually very very clever because it's it's continuity between platforms and you're only actually doing it once because I've seen people have the app separate from a site and now they're doing app work and then they've got to mirror those changes on their site. Yeah, um, and I think I think you end up you can end up with a nicer app like the Bristler app is is clunky. Ask anyone who uses it. it it's not the it's not the smoothest thing, but it was made by one person who's able to deploy a website, an Android app, and an iOS app without breaking much of a sweat. Right. All right. So now you're able to do that. You've got this technical background. But what was your background in things like promoting a brand or the actual branding itself, the logo design? I mean, that's not what you did. You were a software guy. So how did you develop the logo, for example, and a lot of the content on the site the, the actual wording. What did you do all that yourself? So all the all the the wording is mine. Um, I worked for a while just part time as a video game blogger, um, and I sort of so a lot of the sort of humor of the of the app sort of comes from my time being a writer and an editor. So I sort of I can I can write copy that's that's fairly readable. Um, the logo. Um, I can tell you a secret, uh, which, like, it's just you and me, right? So there's, there's no yeah, one else. Absolutely. So, no like, the, <laughs> the logo, because when I started Bristler, um, it started as a joke. I was like, well, it's kind of this, like, joke about hipsters and beards and all this kind of stuff. And so I, I actually Googled for hipster logo generator and found that there is a website called the Hipster Logo Generator, and I, I went on there and I made the first Bristler logo, uh, which had, which is roughly what the logo looks like now, only it had a penny farthing. So I took away the penny farthing, bought, spent one dollar buying a beard silhouette, stuck that in the middle, and had my logo. Um, wow! And it, it's, been, it's been tweaked since. Um, and like we've had to buy the font and like the shields change size and the beard's been like 
vector noise kind of stuff, but it literally was a online logo generator, which which I use. But don't tell anyone. I want That's them to amazing. think I'm really good at making logos. I'll, I'll keep you secret, I promise. Thanks. Now, let's talk for a second about your startup cost because that's another area where entrepreneurs go crazy and they're going to they're gonna mm. dump tons of, of money. It doesn't sound mm. like to me that you dumped a ton of money at, at the beginning of this. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I guess when – so it started in late October. Um, I carried on working kind of part-time for – for weeks or months. Um, and then it was kind of over Christmas when we had a huge, huge traffic spike. Um, and at that time, like I think it was two weeks into Bristler, I added this little in-app purchase where you can buy me a coffee and the website shows you who likes you without you having to like them first. It would be like paying um, a few bucks on Tinder and seeing who swiped right on you. Um, right. And I put that in right at the beginning because I was like, I wonder if anyone will pay for this. So I just dumped a button in there that didn't do anything to see if anyone will click on it. And eventually that goes through this payment gateway and all this junk. Um, so with this traffic spike, suddenly there was some income coming in. And we're talking in the hundreds here, nothing, nothing exciting. Um, but that was enough that I was like, well, I've got some savings. Um, so let's see if we can do this. So essentially my savings became the company's bank account. Um, and the company, when the company was incorporated or became a limited company, um, it essentially translated to, I think it was about a 5,000 pound director's loan um, was in the company bank account, uh, which was all the money that I had right. or have. I it's a loan. So I guess I still technically have it. <laughs> so... Yeah, so so that um, is kind of where that came through. Um, over summer, Bristler, we went through um, an accelerator program, which is like really intensive mentoring, and they give you some money, and they take some equity. And so Bristler got a small amount from that, and the combination of being careful in what we spend money on, that investment, my initial investment, and the income that we've got is sort of, all that we've needed. Um, and it's only now that we're actually looking to get outside investment in order to really take the company into orbit. Well, that's amazing. Now, the app itself is free. So are you generating money simply on add-on purchases? Yes. So, so you can get this, you can buy the coffee, which is I think I, I tied the price to a coffee in my favorite coffee shop because I had no idea what price to charge. Um, but you click the button, pay two or three pounds, which is about five bucks. And for a month, we show you who likes you. And about two to three percent of everyone who signs up will pay for that. Um, and that's wow. generated enough money. Wow, that's 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 really amazing. And what I think is so exciting is let's say, you know, next year everybody decides that um, only lumberjacks have beards. The fact <laughs> that you're able to create this platform allows you to go off into that other niche area like you were talking about. So it seems yep. like you've got the workings of a business that can be perpetual and just going off in different niches. Yeah. So 
it's slightly terrifying when I start thinking about this too much because we've got this platform where we can build a dating app for any reason and we could get it to like decent quality in a few days and we could get it to good quality in maybe maybe a few weeks. Um, and this plan, this sort of model of production scales immensely because we have the platform. If you think about all the code that runs Bristler, we have like 20, 30 different servers. Only the very top limit of that is sort of branded as Bristler. Like all the, the things that match people with people that they're likely to want to date, that, that could be about anything. It could be people who love running. It could be, be right. people who love, like who people who like, I don't know, hats. Right. Um, and so you just spin up this sort of new clone of the top layer. And say, say we do launch um, like a dating app people who love hats. We have 110,000 people who are enjoying our platform and some of them probably like hats. So we can say to them, hey, like you just like these five dudes who all are wearing cool hats. Do you want to like try our hat dating app? Yeah. yeah and you can sort of cross awesome. market and cross pollinate. And it's all on the same platform. So you'll be able to like send a message from one and have it received in the other. So it's, it's really simple, but it's still niche and it's still fun. And each one, each app can be catered specifically. So you could find your local hat merchant or hat shows. And I think I've, I've, I've run the course with things you could do with a hat-based app. But I want to see that. <laughs> it's really an awesome, it's an awesome business and an awesome platform because it just doesn't have that, uh, that end in sight. It just can keep on mm -hmm. transforming. Now, what would you say for an entrepreneur who's you know, sitting down with you and saying, hey, you know, what, what's the most important piece of advice that you can tell me to start up my business? What's, What's, and I know it's tough to kind of qualify that, but what's your number one most unique or important piece of advice for an entrepreneur? Uh, don't. <laughs> so you have people telling you not to, and you have to pay attention to them because sometimes they're right and sometimes they're not. So my advice to someone wanting to start a business is don't and prove me wrong. Can you prove me wrong in the next hour? If you, if you give me the elevator pitch of your company and I go, that's rubbish because no one will buy like that thing. Can you prove me wrong? Because if you can't prove me wrong, you do not have a business and you should just stop there or try a different idea. But if you can prove me wrong and if I can't find a way that your business doesn't work, then you have a fighting chance. So my advice would be don't prove me wrong. I think that's great advice because the the most common piece of advice is don't stop, keep going. You know, you have an idea, you just live a that dream. Terrible idea. It is a terrible yeah. idea. Like you know, you, like the the people who've succeeded, they didn't give up, but then lots of people failed and didn't give up either. So you got to watch out where your data is coming from. Right, and you know the idea of not giving up. I think for entrepreneurs is the idea of continuing to move forward to find that thing that works for you, but you can't mm. get hung up on a bad idea that nobody is interested in. Mm. Yeah, completely. Um, I, so for the longest time, I did all of my work in front of a whiteboard 
And on that whiteboard was written one phrase which said, why will it fail? Because startups and new businesses are basically like boats. You can look at a boat and I can, and you can write on the back of a napkin the fact, like all the maths that says that that boat will go at 100 miles an hour. But if I can find one tiny little hole in your boat, so yeah. if you can identify why your company will fail and then tackle those head on, that's, in my opinion anyway, as a, as a very much a cynic, that's, that's the way to go forward. No, I think it's actually great advice because I, I do think that too many people are on this bandwagon of let me just push, push, push. And when you don't stop and realize, you know, like, I don't mm. know if you, if you ever watched that show Shark Tank. But, um, so we don't get that over here. We have, we have one called Dragon's Den, which is not as good. Okay. But you, you get the concept that, you know, of, mm, of that yeah. sort of investors going entrepreneurs. You know, when, when people see the show and they, they have got these entrepreneurs on the show and the investors are telling them that's a terrible idea, quit, stop, give up, everyone gets offended. But, mm. you know, I think instead of feeling so emotional about it, maybe they're giving you really great advice which is this idea is not going to work and they could save mm -hmm. you time and money. So when somebody comes to you, John, and they say, what do you think about my idea? Are you brutally honest with them? Uh, I try to be like, I try to be kind because there's no need to like hurt someone's feelings, <laughs> but I try to kind of get across the point of like, okay, so you've built this thing and you're still building this thing. Well, what have you done to prove that it works? So I'm not, I'm not going to turn around and say to someone, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. I'm just going to, if I think that, that an idea doesn't have legs, I'll, I'll question like, so have you thought about this? What have you done about this? Um, and I never try to push too hard because then their business kind of becomes your business, if that makes sense. And, yep. and everyone goes their own way. And I'm probably wrong at least 50% of the time being generous to myself. So I never want to like impose my opinion too much. Now, I've got two more questions for you before I let you go. First is, if an entrepreneur is looking to get their idea, product, service out there, and they want to utilize your strategy of going to bloggers and, and trying to get themselves into the media, what mm. would you advise them to do? How should they start that process? So don't look at bloggers as like a generic thing to tick off a list, like Imagine you are them. You're overworked and underpaid, and you're just you're, you're looking for something. Be the thing that they're looking for. Don't expect them to to write about you just because you think you're amazing. Like, of course you think you're amazing. You're you're an entrepreneur. That's kind of your job. Their job is not to give you free publicity. Um, their motives are different. And if you understand their motives, then you can kind of frame the way you're approaching them better. So say you're, you're targeting a very specific region. You can look up who on the local paper is most likely to write about you. What have they written about recently? And like, can you approach them as a human being? And it's like, hey, uh, we're planning on launching in this area. Um, I think you probably enjoy writing about this. Off we go. And never write more than five sentences in your email. Otherwise, they will hate you forever. And I tell you that <laughs> as someone who gets a lot of emails. Limit it to five sentences and you're gold. Now, the last question that I have for you is this. You have been very open and very uh, willing to share information with our audience.
audience. And that's something that is not often seen. A lot of successful entrepreneurs, they like to keep it very close and they want to tell you uh, a little bit, but not, it's like it's like a magazine article, right? You only get yeah. a small piece of it. And you're like, what are you talking about? How important mm. is it for you to give back to people? What What's your philosophy on that idea of sharing? So, firstly, my one goal uh, whenever I go uh, and do interviews is to try to avoid getting the feedback that I'm that I've been really honest and open because I've done that in the past and. <laughs> No one picked up on it, but I actually disclosed in an interview a while back something that had only been disclosed internally, uh, and I just casually mentioned it, and it got printed <laughs> up. And I was like, oh, oh, no. Um, when it comes to sharing, I I don't know. A, a, a rising tide lifts all ships. Um, sorry about that. That's my um, alert telling me that the server has just gone down. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. It'll be, it'll be fine. I'll get back to it later. Okay. Um, so, sorry, yeah, openness. Yeah, the server's just gone down. How about that? Um, <laughs> so, oh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, openness. It, it's it's really important because a rising tide lifts all ships. If you are around other entrepreneurs, your problems are the same as their problems. Like, oh, this investor is, like, not replying to my emails. Or, like, oh, no, this server broke. Or, like, AWS is down. Like, your problems are the same as their problems, and you're never competing with them. There is no one in the entire city of Manchester, there's no one in the entire country of the UK who I am competing with. So there's no point in me not being open about my problems because what, what's going to happen? Someone's going to be like, oh, he's struggling with XYZ, so I'm going to make my competitive move. Like, I'm sure as Bristler grows, I'll be told off by lawyers and then I'll not be able to be as open. <laughs> but until then, it's, there's no point. So all through the summer, I have a Slack channel, um, which is like a little chat room. Right. And I've been inviting as many people in as possible. And I just kind of monologue about what's going on in my day, the problems that I'm having. And I even like, I just share as much as I possibly can because going through a startup is such a weird thing um, that the more people you can tell about your experience, the more people you can go to for advice. Um, and ultimately, it'll, it's only going to help you. Um, and so I just, it's just really important because, you know, karma and all that. And yeah. it's just important to help people around you because otherwise you're a rude word. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's great. And you know, I do appreciate uh, the fact that you've been so willing to talk to, to, to our audience. Uh, we have had a lot of questions come in while we've been on the air. And oh, really? I wanted oh, to, no. Yeah, I wanted to get through the interview. So perhaps in the future, you know, a couple months or weeks or whatever, maybe you can come back on and we can try to get through some of these questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, people are also welcome to just like message me on Twitter or email or any of those traditional right, now things. Specifically, if somebody does want to get in touch with you, they want to learn more about you, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, it probably depends what they're looking to do. If they're looking to find out what I'm currently angry about, they can find me on Twitter. Um, I, I think you can probably just Google for me um, and I turn up. But if if you've got a pen and paper handy, I'm Wardrox on Twitter, which is W-A-R-D-R-O-X. It's my vintage internet handle and I refuse to give it up. Um, 
So you can you can find me on Twitter there. Um, I think I've got an old blog at jkershaw.com. Um, you can also just email me, uh, especially if you're like wanting to invest, because I love I love talking with investors, even if they even if you don't invest in the area. If, if, if you're just an investor, but you you would probably never invest in Bristler, you get you have fascinating conversations because you get that other side of the table, if that makes sense. Like, what are you looking for? What what kind of floats your boat when it comes to investing? So right. I, I can be reached via email, which is just john at bristler.com. Um, and yeah, so so Twitter's where I go and rant. Email is where you can probably send me, but no more than five sentences. I don't I don't have to reiterate that. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, just just feel free to just get in touch um, about anything uh, if you'd like. I'm I'm always looking for a reason to procrastinate. Nice. Well, your procrastination led to a great app, so uh, procrastination <laughs> exactly. can be a good thing. Exactly. Yes. That is John, nice. thank you. Thank you so much, John, for being on today. We'll talk to you soon. We'll hopefully have you back on, get through some of these questions. I wish you continued success with the Bristler app. It is an awesome, awesome app. So um, good luck, and thanks again. No, thanks so much for having me. It's been great fun. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. I, I really – can't say enough about John and his openness today. Uh, great lessons, great lessons. And I, I think for me, in, in summary, um, some of the things that stand out is obviously his, his piece of advice for entrepreneurs, which is don't and then prove him wrong. I mean, I think that's really, you know, some of you out there are going to say, oh, that, that's the cynical side of life and you know, but that's realism. And I, I'm a big believer in realism because you can be a positive thinker, but also a realistic thinker at the same time. And that idea of, um, you know, he, he, uh, um, he sort of he compared it, I guess, to a boat. And you can look at the boat and say it looks great. But when you find one hole, the boat starts to sink. Very similar to what we do as lawyers where we'll have an argument and we look for the holes in the argument. And once we poke the holes in the argument, the argument falls flat. Same thing with, with his analogy of the boat. And I think that the idea of finding your weak spot is relatively helpful. And, and so figure out what's going to go wrong to the extent you can first so that you can fix it. The other great piece of advice is listening to feedback, but not just as a means of bolstering your ego or pushing your idea forward. A lot of people are going to tell you it's a great idea, but there's going to be a lot of people that tell you it's an awful idea. And you've got to be able to separate those people that are haters, those people that are jealous or just don't want to see you succeed with those people that are really giving you honest feedback. And, you know, and I asked John how he responds to people who present him with ideas that he does not think would work. He talked about being kind, which is really an admirable quality because there is no reason to tell somebody that your idea is stupid and, you know, you're stupid. And, but I've seen that all the time. But the idea of being honest with someone and kind is great. But also, as you being the entrepreneur, you've got to be honest with yourself and willing to listen to people. Now, another thing that I thought was, was very good advice is his idea of validating his concept, okay, proving his concept before he spent the time creating 
the entire system, app, website. So he reached out to people and he said, here, I'm going to create this. What do you think? Are you interested in it? And I think that's really good because that kind of feedback can save you tremendous amounts of time, money, effort, frustration. You could have the greatest product in your mind, but nobody's interested in it or the greatest service in your mind, but you're not going to sell it. So that's very important. And, um, you know, I think that the idea that you don't have to spend a ton of money up front and that if you do it the right way and you get your message out to the right group of people and you have it organically spread, you know, he's working full time now for Bristler. And that's amazing. Amazing when you think about it starting a year ago. I mean, it is just a year, October of 2015. It's a year. So I think that it shows you that you can do it. It shows you that about the proper way of doing things and learning from people like John. I mean, that's the point of this show. Let's learn from people like John so that we can build our own entrepreneurial business, our own products and services and get them out there successfully. You know, the, the point of the show is to help you avoid those common pitfalls and mistakes. And instead of recreating the wheel, let's learn from those who have already succeeded. And I think that John was one of these guys that um, just a great, just a great speaker, lots of great advice, a great product, proven his concept, and he's able to be successful. And that's a great thing. And I think that as entrepreneurs, we all strive for that. And my final comment on today's talk is this idea of niche marketing. And I think that you've got to find the right niche. But I think that going niche can be very, very lucrative if you approach it the right way. And it's just about narrowing down your focus. And that can be hard because I think as entrepreneurs, We've got a lot of ideas, a lot of pie-in-the-sky ideas, and when you narrow it down, you start to slowly come down to earth, and you, you focus in on your target. I mean, it's like jumping out of an airplane, and when you're high over the, the ground, you know, and you have not yet deployed your shoe, everything is huge. You've got all these ideas, but as you start to focus in on the target on the ground where you're going to land, that's when you're going to be successful. So I think that niche marketing is like that. It's like that parachute jump, and it, it can take time. Now, in John's case, it was relatively quick to decide, hey, beard and dating, that's my area. That's my thing. For others who have lots of ideas, it, it can be far more difficult. We have to work on paring down those ideas. I would suggest to you that – Personal brainstorming, and then, of course, collaborative brainstorming helps, but personal brainstorming, sitting down with a pad or a whiteboard or whatever you're going to use quietly at a time during the day when you can devote an hour at a minimum and start to put all your ideas down on paper and see how you can force those ideas into a funnel to ultimately produce one or two areas where you think you can apply your skills and talents, that's where you're going to be most successful. 
the general generic uh, areas, you're not going to be able to compete. Look, companies like, let's, let's just talk about the, the Bristler app. Companies like Match.com, you're not going to be able as an entrepreneur, most of you, to compete with a company that's so rich in capital. They've got enough money to support things that don't work out well, to support major um, television marketing campaigns where they're paying tens of thousands of dollars for some of these spots. You can't compete with them, but do you need to compete with them? Because if you're somebody with a beard and you're looking for somebody with a beard, Bristler would be the way to go because why go through the match.com questions? So I, I think that you've got to start thinking about niche for your business and your idea. Uh, if you look at all the successful entrepreneurs that we have spoken to in the past, they all seem to focus in on one niche market, okay? Whether it's a fishing lure. It's not 100 fishing lures that catch 100 different fish. It's one lure. Like we talked to Greg Meyerson, and, and that was his whole thing. He has one lure to, to catch one type of fish. And as you become successful, you can then start thinking about expansion. But, you know, the idea of focus, I think, is so critical. Focus on what you're doing. Focus on what you want. Focus on your goals. Focus on your outcome. Focus on feedback. Focus on validating ideas. All of these ideas, they need to be focused in on. You know, it's very difficult. And I find myself doing this all the time. You know, you've got so much going on in your head. It's hard to narrow it down to something that's going to have a positive result. And you can spin your wheels and get all these ideas, but none of it translates into success until you funnel it down to that area where you can really shine. And that's what, what John has done. So, if you're interested in learning more about John, we're going to have links to his app and his website, bristler.com, on our show notes or in our show notes. And I encourage you, if you've got any comments that you'd like to leave or you have a question for John that we uh, were unable to ask him, because I do apologize to all of you who have submitted questions during the show. We just I wanted to get through the interview, so did not have the ability to take those questions. But we're going to ask him to be back on again. He already said yes. And we're going to get to your question. So if you've got more after you listen to this show, submit them to me via, you know, my email address, uh, which is info at utlradio.com, Twitter, Facebook. You can go on Blog Talk Radio. Go to our website, utlradio.com. All of our contact information is there. And just submit your question, and we'll make sure that, it is, uh, it, is, it is received, responded to, and then when John comes back on the show, we'll have him answer it. And in the meantime, if you've got questions about any of today's topics, you can feel free to contact me, and I'll help you um, sort of, of, of answer your questions and get through whatever issue you might have. All right, that's going to do it for today. Uh, this was episode 194 with John Kershaw. I appreciate him taking the time to speak with us, and I want to thank all of you 
for listening to the show, for being fans and part of the utlradio.com family. Please don't forget to share this show with your friends, colleagues, and family. Let them know about utlradio.com, your business success, and legal information station. I'll see you next time. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.